this morning, but before we do, how many uh, heard something during that time? I knew you would, Bethany. Yeah, I'm not going to make you stand up and say anything, but how many actually felt that word from the Lord? You know, he wants us to hear his voice, and I think that's a discipline that we don't. I know I don't do that very well. In fact, that was my scripture that God gave me when I retired, uh, Psalm 4610, <clears throat> excuse me, was be still and know that I am God. And been trying to do that now for eight years. It's really tough to be still and listen, but he wants us to. And what I got from him was, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Psalm 95. That's what popped into my head. And so this morning, as we uh, get ready to hear the word, let's come to him and, and let's have a posture of yieldedness and surrender and open ears, and let's hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Paul and We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a, a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Thank you, Lord. This morning we get to uh, spend some time in what people call the swan song of Paul. So 2 Timothy is uh, his final word to Timothy before, before Paul's going to be beheaded by Nero uh, somewhere around 66, uh, between 66, 68, somewhere in there. He's in a place called the Mamertine Prison. When we were at Rome uh, this last year, when we went through Rome after Israel on our on our tour, we went to the Mamertine Prison, which in essence is a hole in the ground. Um, previously, Paul had been on house arrest, so 
he was able to stay in a home. Uh, he just had to stay in Rome while he awaited trial. He was released after that for a couple of years and then rearrested uh, and this time put in Mamertine. Now, Mamertine, you didn't get anything. You got dropped in a hole. And you're just waiting for, especially under Nero, there's not much of a trial coming. So you're just waiting for the day when he has a bad day and decides, uh, today's the day I'm going to chop somebody's head off. Uh, spend a little time, read about history, you'll see <clears throat> that was kind of a part of what Nero w- was all about. And so for Paul's life, I just want you to reflect on it for a moment. So Paul, he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by the experience, right? When he saw the Lord, he couldn't see anymore. And then he's led to a place where he awaits a man comes to him named Ananias. Ananias comes and and says, the Lord told me to come to you and and to lay hands on you and pray for you and you'd receive your sight again. And so he laid hands on him and Paul is able to see and immediately he starts. So he goes out and begins to convince the people right there that Jesus was Messiah from the scriptures. And as soon as he did, people rose up to kill him. And they had to sneak him out of the city. And he went back to his hometown. And he hung out there for a period of time. As he stayed there, maybe he felt like God put him on the shelf. You know, it started with such a flash, you know. So bright, he couldn't see. And then he's out on the street doing the things God wants him to do. And people are getting excited and and being convinced by the arguments that he gives. And then he spends some time just on his own. In Galatians, he talks about going out to the desert, out into Arabia, learning and being taught by the Lord. Probably sitting uh, in the desert under a tree with his scrolls opened up, searching through the scriptures and, and allowing God to speak to him. Just like what is our goal when we sit down to open the word or we sit down to or stand or whatever our posture is to spend time with God to hear from him. Then a guy, he's getting excited about the work that God is doing in in Antioch and uh, his name's Barnabas he's a son of encouragement and so he uh he hears people talking about wanting to do missions and he goes hey there was this guy once Paul anybody know where he's at so he goes out looking for him finds him on the backside of the desert says hey I think you and me we're supposed to go do something so Paul gets up off the bench and says, put me in, coach. Barnabas was the preacher then. Did you know that? So they go out on the first missionary journey. People say Barnabas, he, he had an incredible gift for speaking. And, and uh, so he'd go out and talk, and, and Paul was alongside supporting him. And, and uh, people asked questions. Paul had answers. They... They begin to work their way through, so it's not very long into their first missionary journey where they get stoned. Not that kind. <laughs> All the people lit, laughing were thinking it. No, he, he goes out and they, they heal a man, and so the people begin to worship them as gods. 
Paul says, oh, we're not gods, we're just men. You know, we're serving, serving Jesus Christ. And so they flip, the crowd flips on them from worship to stoning. And then they leave him for dead outside the city. And Paul and Barnabas get up, dust themselves off, and walk back into the city. You might think there's nothing really important about that city, but there was a kid there. His name was Timothy. Paul's whole life was battle after battle after battle. I remember when I first got into ministry, I always had this idea that, well, as soon as we get through this, then it's going to calm down. And as soon as we get through this, then it's going to calm down. And I don't say that anymore. Because the reality is, life is just a series of battles. Do you know that? It's a series, the, the faces will change, but the, the battles don't stop. And the, the point is, I, I, I guess I would, I would say God doesn't want them to stop. If he wanted them to stop, they'd go away. He wants us to learn how to fight our battles, right? He wants us to learn how to trust him. When we look throughout the Old Testament, story after story after story after story, God's calling upon his people to trust him in their battles. Whatever, variety of different kinds, Right? I mean, you, you fill in the blank with whatever kind of battle you want. The entire Old Testament is from battle to battle to battle to battle. And God asking the people, trust me, trust me, trust me. So we want to learn to trust the Lord in our battles. And so Paul, his life is battle to battle to battle to battle to battle. It does not catch a break. The last part of his battle is Mamertine prison, which is the worst prison in Rome. So it's, it's just imagine going to the worst place you can imagine and then imagine a little worse because you're probably not quite there. And that's where he's at. And so he's writing a letter to <clears throat> Timothy that goes all the way back to the beginning of his ministry, right? To the beginning of his times of suffering and dealing with hard things in life. And, and so Timothy was a guy who came alongside Paul and, and, and walked with him through a lot of it. And now Timothy's in Ephesus, right? But Paul had sent him there. Hey, Timothy, you need to go do your thing. It's time for you to, to go be the, the man God's called you to be. And our, our paths are, are going two different directions. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue, you know, going around and planting churches and, and you need to raise this one up. And then he goes. Now he finds himself, uh, you know, I don't know, days away from the headsman's axe, and he wants to write one more letter to Timothy. He wants Timothy to know some things. And so it's vital that we just really pay attention to everything. Just, just think about if it was you. If you were writing a letter to one of your children, and you know you're dying, and you just have a few more things you want to say, would every word matter? Did you, when you wrote it, were you thinking about every single word you put? Sometimes you'd scribble something off and say, no, that's not quite how I want to say that, right? You want to you wanna make sure you say exactly what you want to say. And so here we have Paul doing this with Timothy. He begins in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and according to the promise of life 
that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul knows whose he is, right? He says, look, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm, I am a person sent out by Jesus. Now, when Jesus left this earth, and he looked out on his disciples and those who were gathered there on the day that he ascended into heaven, did he give marching orders to just a few? What did he tell the people to go? Go to all the nations. Make disciples of every nation, right? Go to all the world. Make disciples. Baptize people. Teach them what I've taught you. And know this. I am with you even until the end of the age. Right? He gave a commission. In the sense of that commission, we are all sent out. Do you know what the word apostle means? Sent out. Now, there was certain authority, certainly, in the beginning of the church, as the church is being founded and the New Testament is being written. Capital A, apostle. Those guys were guys set aside to write scripture and to provide us the doctrine that has become the foundation of the church today. <laughs> but in the sense of the pure meaning, I'm... Paul saying, look, I'm one sent out. Why would he say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Timothy? You don't think Timothy knows that? Why does he say it? Ring it out to hear a man who knows he's going to die and wants to tell his son in the faith. Hey, everything we do is all about Jesus. It's all about him. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am in submission to Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is God's will for all people. This is God's will for you to be sent out by Jesus Christ, to be in submission to him. When Paul, in Acts 9-6, when, when Paul comes face to face with the Lord, Scripture tells us that, that he said, um, uh, he said, the Lord said to him, rise up and enter into the city and I'll show you the things you're supposed to do. But when Paul recounts that story in Acts 22.10, he said, when he's thinking back to the story, right, and he's recounting what happened, he says, man, I asked the Lord, what do I do? What should I do? Paul's saying, man, when I met Jesus and I know who he is and I've come to the place of, of salvation before him and I know that I'm submitted to Jesus Christ, my next question was, what do you want me to do? What, what do I do now? And listening as the Lord led him and directed him, remembering that we are putting ourselves in a position of submission, right? Slavery to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the whole idea of bondservant, right? To choose. I'm choosing slavery to Jesus. The Bible teaches you're going to be a slave to somebody. You'll be a slave to your will. Maybe some people think that's better. You're going to be a slave to Jesus Christ. You can be a slave to the world. You can be a slave to the dollar. You can be a slave to a lot of things. But we believers are choosing to be a slave of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life. 
Because look, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And then you look at the life of Paul and you say, where was that abundant life? But that's what we do. That's what we do. That's the same thing Rich was talking about when he's talking about the, the, the children of Israel, right? And they're living the abundant life. They don't know it. They get up in the morning and all the bread they want is on the ground. But they're out in the middle of the desert. Here's what we do as human beings. We focus on what we don't have and not on what we do. That's why sometimes it's hard to count your blessings. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to say, what has God done for me? It cracks me up how many times I've heard from people who have left the faith who are saying, you know, I tried that Christian, Christianity thing and I'm, I'm out because of this or that or the people did this or the people treated me like that. Whatever things, and all they can think about is the things they didn't have. But they can never think about the things they did. The difference between them and Paul is Paul sitting in Mamertine prison with nothing. And I mean nothing. He don't own a thing. You get dropped in there with the clothes on your back and that's all you get. Yet he says, no matter what state I'm in, I have learned to be content. I have what I need. No pillow, stone. No water. I didn't give you water. Water bubbled out of the ground. You drink water over there. There's no bathrooms and they don't take you out of there. And you're in there with, I don't know how many other guys. It's, it's no paradise. There's plenty of reasons to complain, right? But Paul, sitting there in that prison, writes this sentence. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Because he's focused on what he does have. Not on what he doesn't. What he does have is the promise of life in Christ Jesus. I have come to give you life. And life more abundantly. Last couple of weeks I I went and visited Ferris a couple of times. And got to pray over him. And visit Ruby and the family. And. And I think as I look, you know, at the final stages of our life, should we live long enough? It just doesn't look all that great, right? I mean, I know he's okay, but don't we want more? Life is bigger than the, the last bed we lie in, isn't it? But then there's this glorious thing that happens. There's this moment in time when... Ferris closes his eyes here and opens them to Jesus. Now, in that moment, in that moment, when he sees Jesus, he is now experiencing a life he could not even dream was possible. Be- according to the promise in Christ Jesus, the promise of life. The whole Old Testament is laid out showing us, drawing us this incredible, incredible picture. But so many people come to the Old Testament and they they can't see it. They read the Old Testament and they actually say, when I read the Old Testament, all I see is judgment, 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 judgment. Well, here's the difference between you and me. I read the Old Testament and all I see is mercy, 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 mercy. All I see is patience and long-suffering. All I see is a God calling out to his people to repent and promising them life. That's what the Old Testament is full of. 
unless you focus on what you don't have. Unless you focus on all the wrong things. Paul's telling Timothy, look, Timothy, I'm going to be gone. I'm leaving. And you're going to be left. And, and there's certain responsibility that Paul wants to bestow on him, right? He wants to, in some ways, pass the baton, right? Okay, Timothy, it's your race to run now. Now, Timothy has been running his race, but Paul's like, I'm going to be gone and you got to go on. I'm going to be gone and people are going to say, because they still say today, right? When something happens to a godly person, they, they're just like, why, could, why would God do such a thing to this? Why would God allow this in their life? How could they go through these things? How are we different? The Bible tells 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. What's common to man? Suffering. You look around this world, we're going to see that, right? (laughs) We're going to see suffering. The promise of life is in Christ Jesus. Now, there is the promise of life here. That's why Paul could sing in prison when he was in prison in Philippi. Because he learned to hold fast the promise of God for the future, the life he would one day see in Christ Jesus. There is a portion of that life given to us now. The Bible says the part, the portion we've been given now is the Holy Spirit, which is a seal of the promise yet to come. That we have life in Christ. So here we may suffer, but Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in Christ Jesus. Because the life is in him. The life is not in the good things we have here. We we celebrate good things. Look, I, I have lived a good life. I've been able to enjoy good things and prayerfully God... Willing, I'm going to enjoy more good things in the future. There's nothing wrong with enjoying good things, but my joy is not in those good things. I enjoy going out for a motorcycle ride, going on a trip here or there, doing a variety of things with a variety of different people. But if I'm not allowed to do any things, that didn't take any of my joy. My joy is not in the bike. I said it before. If the Lord wants it, he can have it. It's all his. Nothing I have is as great as the promise of life in Christ Jesus. If you know that, you know, you know the joy of salvation. And if you don't, I wish you did. Because that's the key. That's the thing that we are all longing for. So Paul saying... Timothy, man, I want you to know, I want you to understand this position that we have in Christ. Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, to Timothy, my dear son, to Timothy, my loved one. And then he does something he doesn't do in any of the other letters. Look, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. All the other letters are the same, grace and peace. His letters always start with grace and end with grace. He's always saying grace to you and grace be with you. He's laying out this idea. But in this letter, there's another word that finds its way between grace and peace. It's mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. I'm sure for Paul, sitting in Mamertine prison, he's praying that Timothy's road doesn't look like his. 
Well, isn't that what you want for your children? Is any of us that say, you know, I hope my son walks exactly everywhere I ever walked, experiences everything I ever experienced, goes through everything I ever went through? I think most of the time we're hoping for better, right? We're hoping, nope, I, I want you, God's grace to be with you, and I want you to know God's peace, and I want mercy for you. Mercy. Mercy that would lead us, mercy that would guide you. Mercy is his prayer for Timothy. I want you to have mercy from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I want the best for you. Now I know that the best for my children is whatever God brings into their life. Because God loves them more than I can even imagine. I want that for my children. I want them to experience the, the beauty of what it is to be in Christ Jesus. And sometimes that means, unfortunately, we as human beings only really learn in the furnace of affliction. That's the truth. Think about the times where God has impacted you the greatest. It's probably not on top of the mountaintop when you won the lottery. But it might have been down in the bottom of the valley when you couldn't pay your bills. So we, we learn to recognize that we want to see mercy from the Lord, but we also want what's best, right? And so Paul wants what's best for Timothy. He wants him to experience all that the Lord has for him. In fact, when Paul writes about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one else like him. This is Paul talking about Timothy. <clears throat> I don't have anybody else who's like him. Nobody at all is, is like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go for me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I too will be able to come. Paul's view of Timothy, man, I... Timothy's the guy. Timothy's my right hand. He's here with me. He's accomplishing all of these things in my life. And so there is a sense of loyalty that he's expounding out to Timothy in this last letter. Man, you're my beloved son and I want only the best for you. I want what's best for you. But in verse 3, he goes to his prayer. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors, those who have gone, gone before me. And he's going to talk about Timothy's parents, right? He's thinking maybe back to his own parents. He was raised up in the church, right? He was raised up in the synagogue. He knew the Old Testament scriptures when, when Jesus appeared to him. He responds when Timothy sees the power of Christ in the life of Paul. He responds, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers there's only two times that paul prayed right do you see him i remember you constantly in my prayers night and day the only two times that paul prayed was night and day that's why he would write pray continually right calling on the name of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Two times you can always pray, night and day. 
praying. He's praying. He's thanking God for Timothy. He's praying for Timothy. He's praying for Timothy in Mamertine prison. He's praying for Timothy in the bottom of a pit, just literally a hole in the ground, deep hole in the ground, where the way they get in, they don't walk downstairs, they take them to a hole and they drop them. And then when, when they want them out, they put a rope down and they say, hey, and the guy's The time in the hole has been such a drag when the guy lays down the rope and says, hey, it's time for so-and-so to lose his head. They get on the rope. Yeah, bring me out of here. So he's in that place and he's writing to Timothy saying, I thank God for you night and day. The times that we had, the times that I experienced with you. Look at verse 4. As I remember your tears and I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. He's thinking, I'd like to see my son one more time. One more time. And there's probably a lot of us who have lost people in our, in our past, right? Who, who have that same feeling. To say, I'd like to see them one more time. Well, here's the good news. According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, you will. But it won't be filled with the pain and sorrow that we have here. It will be filled with the joy of the Lord. Because it will be in the presence of life itself. That's who God is. The Bible says he is light. Within him there is no darkness at all. Within him is life. In his presence there is no death at all. That's why the scriptures say when we're with him, he wipes away every tear. He takes away all the sorrow because none of those things are in his presence. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Those things are washed away, washed off as we find ourselves before him. So he says, I remember your tears. Maybe the last parting, you know, when they went two different ways. And there were, there were tears. Tears over, you know, God's moving us in two different directions. And then there's always the concern that maybe I won't see you again. There are a lot of people I've visited in, in mission trips and ministry around the world. In Russia, uh, Switzerland, um, Africa a few times. And in all those times, every time I leave, I don't know if I'm ever going to see them again. Don't ever know. I'm usually happy to be going home, but part of you, you leave behind in every one of those places. Every one of those faces, you you leave a little bit of yourself behind. So he's saying, look, I remember your tears, and I long to see you. Can you imagine in the pit how many times he thought, man, it'd be so cool to see Timothy one more time? He goes on in, in 2 Timothy <clears throat> uh, one five. I am reminded of your sincere faith. That word sincere, is a, here's a, another way to translate it, authentic. You're real. It's so nice to be around real believers. Now, by real believers, I don't mean perfect performers. I don't really care how good you are at performing. Uh, I just want you to be authentic. So authentic means we ought to recognize we mess up. 
Anybody here got a pass from messing up? And when we mess up, we own up. And we own up. It's so easy since I've learned the answer to all of life's conflict. Every single conflict that there is. You know the answer? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Then it's done. Now it's now it's in your lap. You do with it what you want. I just let it go. And then we're going to move on. We're going to continue to move forward because the purpose of life isn't all these little things that get us derailed. The purpose of life is serving Jesus Christ. It's living for him. It's living your life the way that God has poured out his, his stuff in your life. It's living your life God's way and, and giving glory to him as you do it. It's not the, in order to live God's life, I gotta preach a message three times a week, or I gotta do this many things, or I gotta evangelize this many people. Those things may be part of it, but the reality is it's just making God a part of your life every day. That He's the part of your life, the, the central point of your life every day. Loving Jesus Christ. Is your faith authentic? A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Oh man, Timothy, your faith is authentic. And Paul is celebrating the authenticity of what Timothy believes and the fruit that comes as a result. The fruit that comes as a result of the authentic faith that he has. See, Timothy was instructed in the word from the time that he was young. Parents, this is something that we give our children. It's a legacy. In 2 Timothy 3, 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus. Able to make you wise. There are directions. How do I get from A to B? God's word lays it out for me that we may follow the word that God has delivered to us. May we allow God's word to have that authority in in our life. And then in verse 6, Paul writes, For this reason I'm reminding you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Earlier in 1 Timothy, we saw that the elders had laid hands on Timothy and, and sent him out. This is not what he's talking about here. Paul very distinctly says, fan into flame the gift of God that, that you know is in your life, that you saw through the laying on of my hands. This is the time as Paul is lifting up Timothy. One of the great joys in life is to Understand that God wants us, each of us, to be a Paul to a Timothy. Somebody that God connects you with, that you can reach out to and lift them up. To pour time into, life into, answers into, experience into, time. And you just, as you do this, you're lifting up that next generation. How does the next generation take over? How do, we're all becoming gray hairs. That we ain't got much time. I got a, I know, I'm sorry brother. I got a whole lot more time behind me than I got in front of me. I can tell you that. 
So as, and we're, we're, we're still vibrant, still apart, but we need to be looking at who are we pouring into? Who are you raising up? Who are you leaving behind, like Paul to Timothy, who you can hand the baton to? Hey, it's time for me to go. It's time for you to run. So he says, Timothy, fan in the flame. The times we spent together and the missionary journeys and the stories that we shared and the, and the time that we spent together as I would lay hands and I'm laying hands on you. I'm, I'm anointing you. I'm pouring my life into you so that you can go and be a little Paul after I'm gone. And now that time was coming. So he says, fan that into flame. Do you know that we have to guard the fire that burns for our Lord? You gotta guard it. Just like that campfire when you go camping. One of my favorite things to do is come up to somebody's campfire just about out. They all look like they're going to go to bed and put a log on the fire. (laughs) And then get them talking a little bit and pretty soon I snuck off and went to bed. And somebody, somebody saying, who put that big log on the fire? Here's what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about keep the fire going. Fan it up. Right? It's like the old bellows. We got a bellows at home. Whenever we start a fire, I, I'm done with this rubbing two sticks together. I don't do that. I don't use matches or lighters. I use a propane torch to start my fire. <laughs> am, am I lying? Nope. I use a propane torch. And then once it gets going, I got bellows. I'm cranking on them bellows until that thing is burning hard. So if Robin's stove ever fails, you guys know. Where I get that stove so hot it wants to hop up and down on the fireplace. Keep the fire hot. Jesus said, man, I, I wish that you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Because the two extremes, the picture of the two extremes is one's refreshing, the other is warming. But if you're in the middle, you're nothing. You're neither hot nor cold. It's not about having no faith or some faith. He's not saying, I'd rather you had no faith than some faith. He's saying, look, I want you to be on one extreme or the other. What God wants is to sod on the edges. He don't want us in the middle. Get out on the edge of the branch. Get out on the edge of what's going on. It says, Timothy, fan that up. Stoke that fire. Get that fire going. Don't let your life dip down into inactivity or dormancy. Stoke up your fire. Fan it into flame. Get that fire burning. This is Paul. He's saying, man, I got something I got to tell Timothy. Timothy, don't let that fire go out. It doesn't mean Timothy's fire was out. In fact, the language, the Greek there, is continue to fan into flame. But sometimes we get tired. We get tired because it's one thing after another thing after another thing. We go from one bad bit of bad news to another bit of bad news to another bit of bad news, right? It happens to us all. I was thinking about John Carlson this last week because he's had one bit of bad news and another bit of bad news and another bit of bad news and that's basically been life since he was born. And more bad news on the horizon. But it's in all of that that we have to be careful to stoke the flame. Because otherwise we just say, what's the point? What's the point? Let me tell you the point. The point is the promise of life in Christ Jesus.
The promise of life. The promise of life. Parts of John already gone. He's lost a leg, eye, kidneys don't work right, now has lesions. What's next? Sometimes we wake up and say, what's next, right? What's next? What else? Like, what else I got to go through? I don't know. A bit more. <laughs> John, God's not done with you yet. But here's the promise in it all. He says, I will not ever leave you. Now, usually what we think is, well, God can't be with me because all these bad things are happening to me, right? Anybody ever read the book of Job? That's not good theology, Good theology is what Jesus said. I'm with you, even in the bad stuff, even in the hard stuff, even when life is difficult, even when you move from one bad thing to another bad thing to another bad thing. There was a time back, uh, <clears throat> gosh, well, 12 years ago, uh, when we were serving at Joshua Springs in, in California, that we had six different people die in like three weeks. It was insane. And everything from babies to teenagers and and uh, and that, like both ends of the spectrum, tragic. I mean, not like uh, expected things, just tragic thing after tragic thing after tragic thing. When I left the funeral for the for the baby, I got a phone call about a football player been in a motorcycle wreck and he died that day. We're walking out of the reception of one, and I got the phone call from the parents for the other one. It was just one after another after another. And the Lord says, I am with you every step of the way. He did not say, I promise when you follow me that all the pains of life will go away. He did say, I promise that I will walk with you every step. That's why I love that poem, Footsteps, right? Because the concept of footsteps is I'm with you. I know it's hard. I know you want to quit. I know you want to give up. Jesus says we have a high priest who understands what it's like to be us, right? He says, I understand all these things. The Bible says he was, Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are. He tasted the same life you live, right? There was suffering involved. There was pain, there was rejection, there was all the things that we go through as well. And he looks at us and says, I will never leave you, but you keep walking this path that I've laid out before you because it ends in life, not death. Do you understand? A believer, their life does not end at death. Their life ends in life. There is no death. Death is a lie. Death is a gate. We pass through to look into our Savior's face, into perfect life. And the pathway there is on the pages of Scripture. What the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, the, the prophets, all these things are telling us. How do we get to this incredible life? We get there by fanning the flame. Keep it burning. Don't quit. Anybody can quit. Quitting is easy. It's hard to keep going. Lift your eyes. Look at the prize and take one step after another after another. Listen, verse 7. For God has given us a spirit. 
not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. What has God given us? What has he said? He said, look, I'm not going to take all these things away from you. Now, I don't know the whys to all that. You're welcome to ask those questions when you see him. I just know what he said. He said, I'm not going to take all these things away from you, but I'm going to be with you. And not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to give you a spirit, not of fear. So if I feel fear, whose spirit am I walking in? Well, not walking in his, right? Because he said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. You don't have to be afraid. He said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit of power. I've given you a spirit of love. And I've given you a spirit of self-control. Here's a, here's a great way to, to say that phrase as well. I've given you the spirit of calm. Calm. Have you ever been in a storm and been calm anyway? The spirit of God. You ever been in a storm and, and felt the power to take another step? The Spirit of God. You ever been in a situation where you're pretty sure you can no longer love these people who have done this thing, whatever it is? The Spirit of love. This is what Jesus has given us. He did not say, I'm going to take away all the hurt and pain and sickness and struggles. He said, but I am going to walk with you the whole way and I'm going to tell you, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear. You do not have to be afraid because of the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. Now, sometimes we have to tell fear to go away, right? Because fear lies in our ears. It whispers all the things we're afraid of, all the things that are going to go wrong, all the things that are going to destroy the, our hopes and dreams, what have you. But fear, like the song says, is a liar. But Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. It's in him. He has given us what we need, all that we long for. Romans eight fifteen. he said, For you have not received the spirit of slavery. This is, this is Paul. You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Once we were a slave of fear, but we're set free. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons. You are now sons and daughters of the king. You are sons and daughters of life. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're submitted unto him, then you don't have to be afraid of anything. Your end is with him. You're his kid. He has you. A lot of times when my children were small, they would be afraid walking along the edge of a wall. But I had them. Sometimes they knew I had them because I was holding their hand. Sometimes they didn't know I had them. They thought that they were right there teetering on the edge, experimenting with, with uh, their own limitations. But I had them. God has you. If it feels like he's holding your hand, praise the Lord. If it feels like he's not, 
he still has you. And he has given us a different spirit. I want you to think of another example. Moses, when he was passing the torch to a guy named Joshua. Do you remember? That there was a a changing of the guard. And so as there's this changing of the guard, Joshua is raised up. Moses puts his hands on Joshua. He raises up. Joshua, there's there's a lot of battles in your future. Joshua's going to spend his whole life fighting. He says, there's a lot of battles and a lot of things that I have for you to go through. But here's what the Lord said to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is what? Wherever you go. Every step of the journey you have to walk. He's with you. He's got you. And he has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and calm spirit. I like the memes that used to go around, right? (laughs) I don't know anything about what they mean. I just know every time I see it, I hear, calm down. (laughs) Sometimes we ramp up. God's spirit says, calm down. Calm down. What's he saying when he says calm down? I got you. I got you. He's holding my hand? Maybe. Maybe he's walking beside me. I promise whatever my skill and ability was to catch my son walking along the wall, God's is better. He'll catch you. And you will end in life. It's a pretty incredible idea to lay hold of and it's something that Paul really wanted Timothy to get God is with you I'm going to be gone and there's not going to be no more phone calls hey Paul what should I do Paul these people are being crazy what do I do Paul how should I deal right now Paul's saying look I'm going God's got you he's given you not a spirit of fear there was a prophet once and he uh he was out being a good prophet of the Lord and, and God uh, used him in a mighty way. And the enemies of the people of God, they said, why is it that the people of God always know what we're doing? And this little girl who was a slave comes up to the king and says, well, I'll tell you why. Because there's a prophet of God and he keeps telling the king everything you're going to do. So that guy says, oh, there was a prophet of God. So he packs up his army. And he goes and sits outside the prophet's house. You imagine? Just a prophet and a king and his whole army showed up at your place. And he didn't live in town. He's out in the country where all good prophets of God live. He's out in the country and he's sitting out there and he watches them all come. Oh, looky there. And here they come. This big army for one man. I'm gonna, this king is like, I'm going to end this prophet so I can win the battles. And the 
prophet's servant. He's like, oh, he's running around just losing his mind. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Look, look, there's more of them coming. More bad news and more bad news and more bad news. Man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know what the prophet said to his servant? Calm down. And then he prayed, God, open his eyes. And the servant lifted his eyes and he looked around him and he goes, I never seen that army. Because the army of the Lord was encamped around them. You tell me, you rather have an army of angels or a bunch of guys with sticks and stones? So the prophet said to the servant, we're going to be okay, man. God's got us. And if this is our end today in this field, then we go to life. And if it's not, we see the deliverance of our Savior as he carries us through to the next day, which will have another battle. But it's all right. We set our eyes on the prize and we go on. Paul is telling Timothy, in the beginning, he's got a lot more things to say. Put your eyes on the prize. Calm down. Know the power of God, the love of God, and fight your battles in the power of Jesus' name. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity to be here in your presence, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, may your word accomplish and uh, finish that for which it is sent. God, may you be glorified as we lift our eyes to you (coughs) in praise and in thanksgiving. Uh, Lord, as we enter into uh, just a close of worship, Lord, we ask God, if there's anybody here who needs prayer, who's got battles and needs help, who needs the fan to flame uh, that fire that was once stoked in their life. Lord, I just pray they come forward for prayer. And Lord, that you be glorified and magnified as we go from this place. We lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart